THN is brought to you by Legend Comics and Coffee in Omaha, Nebraska, and by listeners like you. Go to TwoHeadedNerd.com and click Donate, or visit Patreon.com backslash TwoHeadedNerd to become a supporter. Ha-cha! Our story this week picks up where we left off last week. Broadcasting from the Ziggurat at Omaha, deep below the metro area, it is our pleasure to welcome you to episode 523 of the Two-Headed Nerd Comic Book Podcast. Nerds, I can't stop talking like this. My name is Matt Baum. What's Why your problem? I, I don't know. What are you doing? I don't know where that came from. Man. <laughs> and I'm the Internet's Joe Patrick. In this week's episode, we're reviewing 8 of Wednesday, March 20th's new comics with spotlight reviews on Lazarus Risen number one and Invisible Kingdom number one. Ah, the Invisible Kingdom. Then it's down to the THN Sanctum Sanctorum, where we're recapping our astrally projected weekend in Seattle and wrapping about our must-read picks for next Wednesday. And finally, the official THN historian Jason Sachs returns for another edition of Who the Hell is This Guy? But before we return our Yale diplomas, just because Lori Laughlin had to ruin a perfectly good thing with her big damn mouth, we better talk about this week's Nerd! Nerd! You better watch your back, Aunt Becky. That's right. <laughs> News about the next phase of the Marvel Cinematic Universe has been sparse, with Marvel Studios stating that details about the next slate of films won't be revealed until after Avengers Endgame and Spider-Man Far From Home. To be fair, I don't think it's like a DC thing like where they're making it up as they go. I think they're just... No, no, no. I think this is on purpose. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But things are still moving forward behind the scenes. Over the past few months, the studio has hired several new and returning directors, mostly women and people of color, for a number of projects. Oh, give me a break. <laughs> Easy, snowflake. <laughs> Ryan Coogler has been confirmed to return as writer-director of Black Panther 2. Australian writer-director Kate Shortland will direct the Black Widow solo film. Indie filmmaker Chloe Zhao will direct The Eternals. And short-term 12 director... Daniel Cretton has just signed on to direct Shang-Chi, a movie I can't believe is being made. I am thrilled. Yes. I can totally believe it's being made. It makes perfect sense. And we talked about this back in the day when everybody was upset that they, Danny Rand was going to be a white guy. And we were like, well, Danny Rand is a white guy. If you want an Asian superhero, you do Shang-Chi. Sure, but that wasn't what people had. The problem was with the character, not with the lack of an Asian person. The The problem people had with Iron Fist is that Iron Fist is a character that's like a white savior trope no, and from I the life. That. I get that. But it was also created in the 70s, you know? Yeah, okay. So, I mean, come on. It's it's the 90s, Matt. Different time. We're, we're liberated maybe, women now. Maybe for you it is. Okay. But the most surprising development for Phase 3 so far is that James Gunn has been reinstated as director of Marvel Studios Guardians <sighs> of the Galaxy Volume 3. After all that shit. I know. That is got... This is embarrassing. According to Deadline, Gunn had reportedly met with Walt Disney Studios President Alan Horn on several occasions in an attempt to mend fences, <laughs> prompted by Marvel Studios team talking to Horn's office. How does that start? James, good uh, to see you, buddy. Yeah. Hey, hey, I, things have been weird, right? <laughs> things have been... You know what? Let's start fresh, shall oh. we? <laughs> Horn was persuaded to go back on his initial decision to fire Gunn by the uh, by Gunn's public apology and, quote, his handling of the situation after. Which means Batista showed up and said, I'm going to fucking snap you in half and I won't do this no, movie unless means, you get him back. Uh, it means that Gunn never once blamed Disney. He was like, this is on me. I understand. Disney's doing what they have to do. Mm. I have no hard feelings, blah, mm. blah, blah. 
I like to think there was a Batista bomb involved. Okay. Like, you just like put him through the desk. Bam! <laughs> <laughs> Neither Disney nor Marvel have released a timetable for Guardians 3. While it was initially intended to debut in May 2020, prior to Gunn's firing, Gunn has since signed on to direct Warner Brothers' Suicide Squad sequel. Deadline is reporting, though, that he will still direct the rival feature before returning to the Guardians franchise. So we're going to get two. Well, he signed that James Gunn. He signed that deal. Superhero movies. So, yeah, I mean, it's okay. Is it true that Idris Elba is replacing Will Smith? That's what has been or reported. Is Idris Elba going to be a different character? I believe the reports are that he has been cast as Deadshot. That's stupid. Just make him a different character. Why? Because we don't need to replace Deadshot. Is Deadshot that vital of a member of the secret? The, yes. The Deadshot is the only member of the Suicide Squad that I care if lives or dies. <laughs> Okay, that's fair. Yeah. <laughs> so, yes. What about Captain Boomerang? He okay, Captain Boomerang, I like him too. <laughs> Everyone else is expendable to me. <laughs> Pretty much. So we don't know exactly what Marvel's doing. This is goddamn embarrassing. I know. It's 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 silly that it took a year for this to happen. Yeah. And it, I'm just glad that they learned. This is what people are saying. They're like, the trolls are out in force for Captain Marvel. But they weren't. It didn't work. Yeah, no, of course it didn't. And so Disney's like, well. I guess caving to those assholes was it a bad didn't idea. Work last time either. Let's be honest. This was a very vocal minority. What of was people. the last time? It got James Gunn fired. Is what I'm saying. It got him fired. It was bullshit though. It was total bullshit. It wasn't we a vocal minority. It was two like major right wing pundits. And that's it was fun. Mike Cernovich and some other yeah well known dude. And they riled up their small vocal group that didn't affect anything. Didn't hurt any Marvel right. stock. This is a you know I mean come this on. is a totally separate conversation. It not is. anything to do with comic but books. This but is I think it's a mistake to downplay the dangerous nature of these groups. No. Yes. All they do is talk shit. Yeah. It's not like they're yes. threatening to assassinate anybody. Come on. Bring out the shit to me, man. Let's see what you got. Show me how scary you are. I'll Matt, take it. Nazis are marching in the streets. Yeah. In these 2019 not, America. These aren't Nazis. They are. That's not who these they people are. They are kissing cousins, my friend. <laughs> that may be true, but they're also like fat incel white dudes living in their parents' basement. Yeah. They're not. Tune in to our separate podcast, uh, the Two-Headed Nerd Political Podcast starring <laughs> Joe and Matt. Anyway, I'm I think this is Gunn great. Is back. I'm I, glad Gunn's back. I don't want to watch a, galaxy, a Guardians of the Galaxy movie that isn't directed by James Gunn. Yeah, neither do I. No and I think that it's exciting that all this this new talent is stepping up for these, uh, frankly, pretty strange projects. Now, that said, if they're pushing the Guardians of the Galaxy this far back, they better have done something in Avengers Endgame to explain, like, oh, yeah, and the Guardians, maybe they died or they got sucked into another dimension and they're lost or something. <laughs> I, it'll, it'll go by in a blink of an eye. Yeah. An extra year ain't going to hurt nobody. We'll see. In other Marvel news, and I am so excited about this. Marvel Studios is developing an animated series based on the memorable What If title for the upcoming Disney Plus streaming service. According to Slash Film, like the original comic book series, Disney Plus's What If would reportedly be standalone stories playing out alternate versions of memorable moments from Marvel history. One such specific moment of What If, number 47, which asked, what if Loki had found the hammer of Thor? That was a great one. Mm. That was really good. Marvel Studios is reportedly angling to have some of the actors from the MCU return to voice their characters in this animated series. Win. <laughs> yeah, please do it. <laughs> this would be the first animated series undertaken directly by Marvel Studios. Although it is possible they could partner with Marvel Animation or another in-house Disney animation studio on the project. I would assume they do. Mm -hmm. 
Of course. I would assume they do. This is just the first one that they have full 100% control of. Yeah, like they announced those Hulu shows. Those are from Marvel TV. Right. Uh, or maybe Marvel Animation. I think it's Marvel Animation. How many different damn divisions It's do you Marvel need? Animation. Um, yeah, this is very interesting. Uh, but I'm curious, are they going to be doing what if versions of comic book events or movie events? Because if it's comic book events. It's got to be. How many uh, non-comic fans are going to care about that? I don't know if it even matters. Honestly, if you make the cartoon fun enough, does it matter? I suppose If not. it looks good. I think they saw how much money Sony made on Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse, and they realized there is a serious audience for animated stuff when animated stuff is done well. Sure. And all of a sudden, we got the announcement of the four Hulu shows, and now this. I hope this is full on comic Look, I'm thrilled. Nerdness. I'm thrilled either way. I want to see what if, because here's the other thing. But are we going to get like huge gold horned Loki? We better. <laughs> we fucking better. Here's the other thing you can do here. Any Marvel character you want. All the X-Men, the Fantastic Four, they have the animated rights. They can do whatever mm. they want here. We can do what if the Dark Phoenix uh, destroyed the universe. We can do, I mean, all that shit. You can do the what if uh, Conan the Barbarian that's, was wandering around. That's the first one I 1978 New York yeah, with, yeah. A, with a handgun, yeah. you know, like mm -hmm. all of them. I'm super excited for this. That's fine. Please stay. Joe Patrick's not. No, no, I am too. Nothing? I just look at, I just, I said it. I was excited. Your soul is dead. My soul is dead. In comic book news, DC's Justice League is crossing over with Dark Horse Comics' Black Hammer universe. Weird. In a new limited series scheduled to debut this July titled Black Hammer, Justice League, Hammer of Justice. Okay, this isn't the first time that DC's crossed over. Like, we've seen Batman and Hellboy sure, crossover. Batman and, and Predator, yeah. Batman and Aliens. Superman, Superman Aliens. and Aliens. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, right. Black Hammer co-creator and writer Jeff Lemire will be writing the series with art by Michael Walsh and colorist Dave Stewart. According to IGN, Hammer of Justice begins when a strange man simultaneously arrives in DC's Metropolis and the Black Hammer Farm. It's got to be it's got to be the astronaut guy, right? Uh, Colonel Weird. Yeah, Colonel Weird. This somehow leads to both universes being warped and Starro attacks for good measure. The five issue event will include DC heavy hitters, Batman, Wonder Woman, and Superman. Well, of course it will. It's the Justice League. Right, of course. Here's a quote from Lemire. Obviously, I want Black Hammer to continue to grow and evolve autonomously, but that doesn't mean that this is just a throwaway imaginary story either, the writer said. It will have an emotional impact on both sets of characters, and there is one other aspect that will have a more lasting effect, but I can't spoil that here. See, I that's weird to me. Like, they've tried to do this with intercompany crossovers in the past where they're like, we're going to carry over elements from the crossover I'm okay into our with it. But how can they do it when they can't reference the other characters? No, because something happens to a character or something, and it counts. And maybe they can. Maybe. Why can't they? Maybe once they do this. You think they Jeff say, Lemire can just name drop Superman and Black Hammer? Maybe. No. But, like, not his image or anything. Yeah, or maybe that guy or the Kryptonian or I don't know. I mean, I'm curious to see how he pulls that off. Black Hammer, of course, is an homage to superhero archetypes. Uh, a lot of DC ones, specifically Superman, Shazam, right. Batman, and Wonder Woman. But... For Lemire, this crossover is working to accentuate the characters' differences. Quote, of course, there are some surface similarities like both Martian Manhunter and Barbalian being Martian heroes, but when you put them together, it allows the uniqueness of both worlds to really come through. Uh, we don't need to, we don't need to list the cover artists, yeah. no. Uh, this issue, uh, first issue scheduled to go on sale July 10th, and of course is a co-production of DC and Dark Horse Comics. This is weird news, but I'm 
into it. I'm totally into it. And like I said, this is not new ground that they're treading here. It's just been a while since DC has crossed over with Dark Horse. They used to do it a lot. Well, sure. I mean, I don't mean intercompany crossover as is a weird idea. I mean, Black Hammer crossing over with... I don't know. I think it makes perfect just, sense. It's just... They are a direct weird. homage to these DC characters for the most part. Why not? It would like it would be like if uh, the Watchmen characters interacted with the DC universe. You know mm-hmm. how weird that yeah, would be. Yeah, that would be strange. Yeah, yeah, I don't know. Nobody wants that. Nobody. <laughs> <laughs> or what if they did it and the book never came? Oh, out? Oh, I know. God. <laughs> <laughs> no, this is going to be cool as hell. Jeff Lemire is awesome. I, I'm really looking forward to this. And honestly, I hope DC does let them do something that has ramifications for both. That would be cool as hell because then it counts. It's not just another crossover that eh, didn't really take place in continuity, and we never mention it again, like Avengers and JLA. <laughs> like, Universe no. almost ended three times. Avengers, we JLA, don't talk about Avengers it. JLA was one of the ones that tried to do that because Kurt Busiek was writing. I think he had stepped in to write JLA at the time. Yeah, I think you're right. And there was something about a cosmic egg that was like crucial to the plot of the crossover, and then all of a sudden it showed up in JLA, and it was like this big deal. It's like. Okay, come on. Who cares? Who really cares? Nobody cared about that. That is your nerd news for the week, but I'm sure we missed a ton of other stories while Nebraska was slowly sinking under the encroaching floodwaters of the winter thaw. I had a creek flowing through my basement, and I thought about getting turtles, frogs, Come to the terrarium when we sell it. So hit us up on the THN forums, big news section, or better yet, you can tune in to Cover to Cover Live every Saturday, where we broadcast on our Facebook Live page from 11:30 to 12:30 Central Standard Time. It is like sports talk for you nerds. You control the content, and if you don't call in, Joe and I will drown ourselves in the basement. So call us at 402. 402- 819-4894 or click the call now button on your Facebook page. If you can't be there live, leave us a message or you can send us an MP3 to twoheadednerd at gmail.com. Broke kayfabe there and talked about the house instead of the ziggurat. That is a no-no and Vince is going to make us pay a huge fine for that. Oh man, we get fined? Yeah, big time. Shit. It is spotlight review time in the ziggurat, and Joe and I were thinking about throwing our hats into the presidential race, but I'm not sure this country is ready for its first two-headed president. Instead, Joe, let's use our fake Ivy League educations to show these nerds how to review two of this Wednesday's new comics. Joey, show these kids what Aunt Bucky's money can buy. I'm reviewing Invisible Kingdom number one from Dark Horse Comics, Burger Books Imprint. It's written by G. Willow Wilson with art by Christian Ward. It's 32 pages for $3.99. Here is your solicit. Set in a far-flung star system, this new sci-fi epic monthly saga tells the tale of two women, a young religious acolyte and a hard-bitten freighter pilot, who separately uncover a vast conspiracy between the leader of the system's dominant religion and the mega-corporation that controls society. So imagine if the Pope and Jeff Bezos were, like, totally in cahoots. And who says they aren't? Okay. Well, I think this Jeff Bezos is a little tougher than the Jeff Bezos one. Well, we don't know. Yeah. And when you say hard-bitten, I picture him like a chunk out of it, you know? 
like a shark got it. <laughs> like a little girl that was like surfing and she lost her leg. Sure, right. She's hard bit. She is hard bit. <laughs> <laughs> On the run from reprisals on both sides, this unlikely pair of rebels risk plunging the world into anarchy if they reveal the truth. But when your beliefs betray you, what choice is there left? Anarchy. Anarchy. I love a good sci-fi story with a ragtag crew of space truckers. Truckers, period. We love truckers. Yeah, I know. We're always talking about them. I would have been perfectly happy if that's all this book had to offer, but writer G. Willow Wilson is better than that. Here we get the story of Grix and her crew as they break down on a remote moon on their way to the planet Dooney. We're also introduced to Vess, a Rulian down, that's in quotes, <laughs> Uh, a member of a race with four distinct genders on her way to the Renunciation Monastery to become an N-O-N-E nun. Get it? Oh, Because okay. they're renouncing. Got it. You know, I read it. I didn't even pick up on that. Yep. <laughs> the two main characters' stories are intertwined as Wilson fleshes out the world they live in. She takes the time to develop an interesting supporting cast as well, like Grix's snarky crewmates and the monastery mean girls that torment Vess. I loved how Wilson contrasted the motivations of the two main characters. Grix just wants to make it to the end of the line with her ship and crew intact, while Vess searches for meaning and fulfillment by giving her life over to a higher power. I'm eager to see how the conspiracy that I discover will bring the two together, because right now, they apart. Yeah, big time. Christian Ward's art is breathtaking. His designs are truly alien while still being relatable. The neon bursts of magenta, red, and purple practically glow. I thought the page of Vess climbing the long, narrow stairway up to the monastery particularly stunning, with Vess's ragged red robe standing in vivid contrast with the brownish-gray walls. Rather than looking like traditional comic line art, Ward's work in Invisible Kingdom works like a puzzle of vibrant colored shapes that come together to form a cohesive image. G. Willow Wilson is one of the brightest writers in comics today, and I'm excited to follow her career as she expands and to create her own work. Christian Ward is an otherworldly talent. If you like smart science fiction, absolutely check out Invisible Kingdom. I'm giving it a buy it. Yeah, this, the art in this was crazy. Yeah. But it totally worked. I didn't feel lost. It reminded me of like the concept art from Jodorowsky's Dune. Yeah, dude. It was totally like I was vibrant like, and nuts. Heavy and, Mobius vibes oh, all up and man. down this story. It was so cool. Um, a really good story with a lot of sort of like crazy ideas and terms, but it never got annoying. You know what I mean? It wasn't see, like I thought it was like I, I thought it was uh I didn't even think about there being like crazy terms because no. I thought it was perfectly like a one-to-one. -one That's what I'm saying. The way she put it together. To things on earth. Like I, never, I totally got the idea that like this is Amazon yeah. fucking up. They're sending, they're, they're, they're sending bogus But packages. I mean like I never got lost in jargon. Yeah. You no, know what I mean? Yeah, exactly. And, and that is definitely something that, that happens in sci-fi. super annoying in it's some sci-fi stories. Trope. But she yes. was really good with it here. Oh, I'm, in fact, I'm going to mention that in one of, my, one of my ludicrous reviews. Okay. I'm giving this a huge buy it as well though. It was just a cool looking story. And as much as we liked her on Miss Marvel, I can see why she wanted to leave so she could do something like this with more freedom to create an entire universe right. and just freak out on her own. No editors, just G. Willow Wilson pouring sci-fi out of her skull. And yeah, I, like, I totally understood her reasons for leaving. She wanted to quit while she was at the top of her game. Although she did leave. It's just that last story. Just It was so rushed. That's a different, that's review. A different review. We already talked about it. This was great. But Bye. this like... For her first foray into creator own work following a long stint yeah. at a big company this exclusive. Is, this has got to be a wonderful way to park. watch the taste out of her mouth. Absolutely. You know? That sounds gross. 
<laughs> yeah. To slap the taste out of her mouth. Just slap it right out of there. Matt, you're yeah. also doing a kind of a sci-fi book, but it's a little bit more down to earth. Also about a lady. Let's talk huh? about it. This one's called- We La- just can't stop. I know. Ah. It's like we're trying to get laid or something. This one is called Lazarus Risen Number 1. It's from Image Comics. It's written by Greg Rucka with art by Michael Lark, colors by Santi Arcas, and letters by Simon Boland. Here is your solicit. New story arc! Fracture 1! Part 1, which I don't really, you know, whatever. Lazarus returns in an all-new prestige format, new series, new story arc, new size, and a new quarterly schedule. 64 pages, like I said. I'm not going to read all this. You don't need to know it. Uh, There's a 44-page story by Rucka and Lark, an all-new short story exploring the larger world of Lazarus by Eisner-nominated writer Lila Sturgis, and an all-new supplement to the modern age world of Lazarus role-playing game by Green Ronin. That's pretty cool. It's very cool. Original design artifacts and art supplements and more. Two years have passed since the Carlisle family was betrayed in battle and the Conclave War encroaches on every side. As a new end dawns, Joanna Carlisle goes on the attack to ensure the survival of her family, relying on the loyalty and support of the Carlisle Lazarus, her sister, forever remaining at her side. And while the United Front Maybe enough to turn the tide. The cracks are beginning to show. Wow. Intrigue. My suggested soundtrack for this one is Super Modified, the 2000 album by Eamon Tobin. He's an electronic producer that does sort of like creepy beats and shit. Works really good for this. The book starts with a very nice front material that brings readers up to speed with character picks and names as well, which is good because it's been a while since we've had a Lazarus book and I needed that refresher. There's also a brief recap for those of us just joining Lazarus in progress. It's been a while, like I said. It's been quite a while since I read Rucka's Lazarus book and I forgot how detailed and fleshed out this world really was. Normally, to build a world like Rucka has here, you need a novel. You need time. You need pacing. And for some reason, him and Michael Lark are so good at telling so much with so little. There's not a lot of dialogue in this book, but the way Lark, Lark's art, the emotion, and the dialogue you do get just brings you right back into the world of Lazarus. The story here- They don't waste any time with exposition. Yeah, they don't need to. Yeah. It's straight into the action, straight back into the story. And even if you just picked it up from here, I think you would still be completely interested in what's happening. Yeah. The story here starts with Lark and Rucka just showing off their talents with a perfectly written and drawn military-style strike with little digital effects to show things like a hit squad using cloaking tech that work really well. There's not a whole lot of dialogue in this first part. Rucka lets Lark's art just tell the story, and he's so damn good at creating mood and feeling and motion. Forever and her team move silently and kill very effectively, but without a lot of gratuitous violence. It's like Lark's art. She did cut a guy's head off with a wire. She does at one point, (laughs) but it's to be quiet. There's a reason it's happening. She's not splitting people in half with swords and shit. Right, yeah. While they're silently trying to get in. buckets of blood. No. Like Lark's art, every move looks deliberate and very effective. Rucka's dialogue is some of the best in the business, and he does a fantastic job writing forever as a killing machine in one page and a vulnerable person the next as she's becoming impatient with her sister who has promised to introduce her to the next Carlisle family, Lazarus, in training. I don't want to spoil too much for those of you who haven't read this book. I mean, you're going to get it in the recap. You are going to get it in the recap, I suppose. And I, if it were up to me, I would say 
start at the beginning and read up to this point because the payoff is totally worth it. Lazarus is a wonderfully realized dystopian future that doesn't feel too far off from where we are now. The rich control the world and each member of their family has a part to play in their own little dictatorships. There's aspects of the West Wing, the Hunger Games. There's themes of classism, eugenics, duty, and betrayal. If you have not read Lazarus, you need to catch up now before it becomes a major TV hit. I cannot give this a bigger buy it. I forgot how much I love Lazarus. Yeah, I love Lazarus too. And I fell off the book after maybe a year just because, you know, with the show and everything, we, sure. it's hard for us to stay current on everything we love. And so that recap and the little character sheets were a lifesaver. Yeah. And I will say this, uh, there was a moment where I was confused about who was who. Um, I know exactly where you're at. Especially uh, forever, but looks were... exactly like the caretaker. <laughs> well, and there's yeah, and there's a reason for that. Really? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Is she a clone? No. Well, yeah. Uh, there was a couple of moments of confusion just because I am essentially a new reader, right? Um, but the recap totally gave me everything I needed to follow along. I. I, I totally forgot how much I missed Michael Lark. Yeah. That guy is so stupid talented. I just, he's one of my favorites. And he doesn't work enough. I mean, he, I mean, he works when he wants to. I mean, <laughs> th- I mean, this is his thing. Yeah. Right. Uh, and I'm glad, I'm glad for more regular Greg Recca stuff on the stands. Uh, I mean, I don't want to make this about the big two cause this is a great creator on property, but like, I'm super excited for him to come and, and write that Lois Lane book. Oh, definitely. At DC. I don't think that there's, a, I don't know if there's anybody honestly, that I think writes a better heroin-focused story than Greg Rucka. You might be right. Because he's a dude, but oh my God, he's good at it. Yeah. I love this. Uh, I'm... I think the quarterly format is great. I'm yeah. not, I might not always be interested in everything in the back matter, but, it's packed full but of the stuff. lead story is also extra sized. Right. And I mean, you're getting essentially the same amount of comic book story content in the lead story as you would get in an $8 48 page it's true uh issue from boomer idw or whoever right. you could keep complaining is, about and this is packed full of stuff it's yeah fun absolutely it's a buy it for me i'm happy to have lazarus back uh, this might inspire me to go back and fill in the gaps from what i missed you should let's be honest that's probably not gonna- <laughs> i don't know what's wrong i'd rather reread uh, ultimate spider-man from the beginning like wait, i have been on the marvel for app. the amazon show <laughs> <laughs> So that is a double buy it for Lazarus Risen and a double buy it for Invisible Kingdom. We'll post our written reviews over twoheadednerd.com so real Ivy League grads can judge our extremely poor English. We don't talk good. No, we don't talk no good. No No more. No, we don't. The spring equinox is finally here, and we are celebrating by whitewater rafting on the snowmelt into the deepest depths of the caverns below Nebraska in hope we'll be dumped into the land of the lost. <laughs> While we review eight more of this Wednesday's new comics during the Ludicrous Speed Round. Speed! Go! Spider-Man, life story number one from Marvel. The what-if Spidey aged in real-time story starts here, and while Chip Zdarsky's script is good and the story mainly comes off as an update to Spidey's early days during the Vietnam War, Mark Bagley's art gives the book the classic feel it needs, but I found it hard to get invested in the story 
There's a fun twist with the Green Goblin, an okay twist with Gwen Stacy, and a weird twist with Cap. <laughs> but the script was a little overly written. Maybe they were just trying to do a little too much in this first issue. Giving it a skip. See, I thought that the script was fine, and as much as I am an apologist for Mark Bagley, I thought that this kind of story needed a different style of art yeah. than traditional superhero, like a Marcos Martin or a Paulo Rivera. Yeah, maybe, because it's more of a period piece. Yeah. You know, or maybe like do somebody who can mimic the 60s and someone who mimics the 70s and someone who mimics maybe. the 80s. Yeah. And we're available if you guys need idea people. Firefly, bad company, number one from Boom. I love Firefly. I think the characters and the universe they inhabit are interesting and well-developed. I love that the world building that was cut short by the show's cancellation is being continued by the comics. But I didn't love this one-shot spotlighting Saffron, Mal's con woman, quote-unquote, wife. Writer Josh Lee Gordon gives us a very wordy, predictable, and drawn-out script detailing Saffron's tragic upbringing. The affected pseudo-Western style of the dialogue gets tiresome when read, and they do it over and over. Instead of acted out loud, it's not as bad. Right. The presence of three different artists makes the book all over the place visually. I'm all for expanding the histories of Firefly supporting characters, but I thought Bad Company stumbled in the execution. I was going to be generous and give it a skim it, but actually I'm giving it a leave wow. it. I just, wow. I didn't care that much. He hates it. I didn't hate it. I didn't hate it. I just. Up your butt, Firefly. There you go. Yeah. The Life and Death of Toyo Harada, number one from Valiant. The art by Kafu and Miko Suyan here is so strong that I may have given this a buy it if they forgot to print any of the story. But. Writer Joshua Dysart has a solid script here as well. Toyo Harada is one of my favorite characters in the Valiant U. I say character and not villain because he's complex, baby. He's a super socialist yeah. with little care for the world's status quo or how the West pretends to govern. Here, you get a great taste of what makes Harada so interesting, starting with his origin and carrying through to his latest plan, possibly his downfall. Uh-oh. Dysart's Harbinger epic has been amazing from day one, and I am so glad to see him back in this world. I'm giving this a massive buy it. Go read Harbinger. It's so good. Pearl, number seven from DC slash Jinx World. I recently got caught up on this series, and I found myself really enjoying Brian Michael Bendis' tale about an albino tattoo artist slash failed Yakuza assassin covered in a mysterious tattoo that only appears when she gets flushed. Like uh, hypercolors. Yeah, right, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Don't get me wrong, Bendis outdoes his early 2000s self in terms of decompression. Exactly two things happen in this issue. Pearl and her friend flee to Portland, and a detective questions a couple of characters. Okay. That's it. Well. But the story really has me hooked, and Michael Gatos is doing the work of his career with his wildly experimental he's art. He's so good. He's so. He, I think he's been hanging out with, uh, what's his head, too long, though. That did Kabuki. What's his name? David. <laughs> David Mack. Yeah, sure. you could see him. You yeah, could yeah. see him like oh, David Mack can freak out and pour ink all over. I can. <laughs> I wasn't sold on Pearl after the first issue, but I'm fully on board now. Buy it. Dungeons and Dragons: A Darkened Wish, number one from IDW. I love that these issues always feature a character sheet for one of the characters in these books. It's just fun. Tess Fowler is a kick-ass artist. And she is showing off her fantasy skills here, packing every page with action and detail. She does an excellent job using her panels to illustrate magic and large-scale bloodshed here. The story follows a young ginger-haired Helene as she leaves her religious family for adventure. 
The story does take a little jump when she first meets up with the rest of her party, but this was so much fun and had more soul than most D&D books I have read. I have to give this a huge buy it. It was fun. Avengers Ain't No Road Home No More, number six from Marvel. <laughs> Conan the Barbarian makes his long-awaited appearance in mainstream Marvel continuity with time. this issue. Technically last issue with the final page cliffhanger. I know Marvel's insistence about dragging Conan into the Marvel U has its doubters, but this issue was outstanding. The whole series has been so great. I know. The tone of the storytelling completely shifts to Robert E. Howard-styled narration as the unlikely friendship between Conan and the Scarlet Witch takes shape. He likes the ladies. He does. She's cutie. I'm attributing most of this issue's excellent script to Jim Zub, who wrote about his passion for the character last issue. Sean Isaac's art is excellent, bouncing between sword and sorcery and superhero action. Having this series separate from the main book might not be doing it any favors, but do not sleep on Avengers No Road Home huge buy it. You know what? It makes me feel better about the whole Conan crossover thing because this is separate and it doesn't feel like it's like, but oh, it's, like Conan just bumped into Spider-Man. But it's you know? definitely in continuity. It it's it even is. got the Avengers legacy numbering, I so just, it slots into the main numbering. I just think it, it's working this way. Sure, right. I agree. Dark Red, number one from Aftershock. Writer Tim Seeley and artist Corin Howell spin a small town vampire story that sees a happy hick vampire in partnership with a woman that has a rare blood disorder. She, like, makes too much blood. And she either has to go to the phlebotomist and have it removed or have a vampire suck it out of her. Ah. While he just wants to watch old war movies and bitch about big city liberals, the Vamp Nation has other plans <laughs> for him. Wonderfully dark and violent art by Howell and another great script by Seeley. Dark Red gets a huge buy it. Corn Howell drew Calamity Kate. Oh, no Last kid. week. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Marvel Spider-Man, City of War, number one from Marvel. It's Marvel's Spider-Man, just in case. Marvel's Spider-Man. Don't confuse it with, no, you no, know, with like images. Archie Spider-Man. Xenoscope right. <laughs> Spider-Man. Archie Spider-Man. Who has gigantic melons and a super low-cut shirt. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I had this book pegged all wrong. I thought it was supposed to be a new story set in the world of Insomniac's phenomenal Spider-Man game for the PS4. Instead, it is a quote-unquote expanded adaptation with a few added story beats here and there. Come on. (laughs) Apparently, it's also the start of a whole new imprint at Marvel that they're calling the Gamerverse. No. No. Look, chill out, guys. You have exactly one good story-based game that's worth a damn. (laughs) Dennis... Hopeless Hallam, it's cool to see him using his real name, and artist Michelle Bandini do a great job recreating the look and feel of the game, but I just don't know if there's enough extra story to hold the interest of someone that's finished the game quite yet. They are promising more. I don't care. Look, it's not for you then. It's not. You're right. The whole game reverse. Not for me. No. Now, here's a marketing tip for you, Marvel. This should have been called Spider-Man Into the Game Reverse. Yeah, come on! To cash in on that movie hype. (laughs) Spider-Man City at War gets a very strong skimmit because it is very well done, but I've played the game. I already know the story. Right. Troma! Or Troma D. Troma. That is your ludicrous speed round, and Troma D is the sound of Hitman. <laughs> it's not Troma D. <laughs> it's the sound of Hitman. Maxwell Bishop shooting three gunmen through the head at the same time as seen in the pages of Assassination Nation number one. Nope. Let's see. We got orange juice, purple stuff. Troma D. 
This onomatopoeia of the week was submitted by Joe via Joe's Big Mouth. Yeah. If you want to submit an onomatopoeia of the week, you can shoot us both in the head and tell it to our families at our funeral or hit us up on any of our social media or just shoot us an email. Yeah. At twoheadednerd at gmail.com. Just do it. Yeah. Once again, Matt and I couldn't make it to Emerald City Comic Con. I blame you people. But this year, we sat Indian style in the Sanctum Sanctorum, clenched our butt cheeks, and astrally projected ourselves into the convention. You have to clench your butt cheeks really hard to project yourself that far. Um, I believe this is at odds with the canon you established for astral projection last oh, week. That was remote viewing. That's oh, different. okay. Got it. Okay. Got it. The only problem was you can't drag convention exclusives across the astral plane. God Damn it! And Matt is not happy about My it. My stupid astral hands dropped that Funko Pop Dragon Ball Z Parunga figure somewhere in the void. I floated in line six damn hours to get that damn thing. Now, now, buddy, let's not mourn our lost DBZ Funko Pops, but instead, let's rap about our must-read picks for next week. Well, spoiler, we both picked the same thing. Yeah, we did. But it's huge. It is huge. So, our pick for next week, it had to be Detective Comics number 1,000. From DC, all right, get ready for this. It is written by, we'll go back and Are forth. Are you really listening, yeah. everybody? Rapid fire, back and forth. Jeff Johns. Scott Snyder. Brian Michael Bendis. Warren Ellis. Peter J. Tomasi. Christopher Priest. Dennis O'Neill. Paul Dini. Kevin Smith. Tom King. Art, I've lost my place. <laughs> Next. Art by Dustin Wynn. Alex Maylee. Andy Kubert. Kelly Jones. Steve Epting. Tony S. Daniel. Greg Capullo. Neil Adams. Doug Mankey. Oh, man, it is 96 pages for $9.99. That's thick, though. Yeah, no, it's huge. That's gigantic. Here's your solicit. After 80 years, it's here. The 1,000th issue of Detective Comics, the title that literally defines DC. This 96-page issue is stacked with an unbelievable lineup of talent that will take you on a journey through Batman's past, present, and future, plus a sensational epilogue that features the first-ever DC Universe appearance of the deadly Arkham Knight. But who is under the mask? Spoilers, in the video game, Arkham Knight is Jason Todd. Yeah. So I don't know how that's going to work. It's, it better not be Jason Todd. No, he's already a guy. He's already the Red Hood. I know, and I hate Jason Todd. And why do they want Batman dead? The incredible future of Batman Adventures begins here. It's going to have, uh, it's got a billion covers, and each one, or uh, there a are decades. There's a thousand yes. covers, not there a are, billion. There, <laughs> there are decade-specific uh, trade designs. They're really cool. They are cool. Yeah. And it's just like the Action Comics ones. I can't wait. I'm very excited. Yeah. It's a big milestone. I want to see where they're going with this Arkham Knight shit, too. I, could be good. Could be lousy. I okay. mean, <laughs> as long as it's a different, you know, right. it's a different character. Who okay. Cares? The THM Trade of the Week goes to Crowded, Volume 1, trade paperback from Image Comics. It is written by friend of the show, Christopher Sabella, art by Roe Stein and Ted Brandt. It is 168 pages for $12.99. What a deal. That's crazy. Here's your solicit. Ten minutes in the future, the world runs on an economy of jobs, shares, and apps like Reaper, a platform for legal assassination. When the apparently average Charlie Ellison wakes up one day to find out she's the target of a million-dollar Reaper campaign, she hires Vita, the lowest-rated bodyguard on the Defend app. Now, with all of Los Angeles hunting Charlie, she and Vita will have to figure out who wants her dead and why before the campaign's 30 days or their lives are over. this We read Crowded. It's very good. It is such a wonderful book, and it is such a fun take on, like, Patreon and GoFundMe and all this other crap. Now you can, like, 
save up a bunch of money and have somebody killed. Yeah, no, there's just, it's just that there's an app for everything. You want food delivered? Great. Mm-hmm. There's DoorDash or whatever. You so want great. a car? Call an Uber. Get right. on the Uber app. You want to murder your friend? It's the logical extension go. of where the app economy goes. Christopher Sabella is so good at this stuff. Crowded is a wonderful story, and it's been optioned for the TV. Yes, that's great. Yeah. Uh, Aaron Myers, our, our good friend Aaron Myers, is at Emerald City Comic Con right now, and he hand-delivered to Christopher Sabella a vintage uh, Archie Bunker's grandson action figure. Oh, boy. <laughs> In a huge box. I don't know why. I hope his grandson wasn't as racist. Uh, Yeah, I doubt it. Yeah. I doubt it. <laughs> uh, but yeah, it's it was very funny. So there you have our picks for Wednesday, March 27th. But we want to know what you nerds are excited to read. So have your astral selves drop your picks in our astral P.O. box. Or you can just hit us up on any of our social media platforms. But please make sure to add all your picks to your pull files. It's the easiest way to help your local comic shop triumph over evil. It's true. Earlier, you heard us mention Marvel's Bruce Lee knockoff, Shang-Chi, here to give you more on the master of kung fu. We proudly present the official THN historian, now in hi-fi stereo, Jason Sachs is back for another edition of Who the Hell is This Guy? I think it's adorable that when he does his recordings, he says, who the heck is this guy? I know. He's such a <laughs> such a wiener. <laughs> Hi, I'm Jason Sachs. Welcome to Who Is This Guy? Yeah, I hear the the grumbling on the internet. Master of Kung Fu? What the F? Master of Kung Fu? Talk about a deep cut from the Marvel Universe. And yeah, he is a deep cut, but for those of us who love comics in the late 70s and early 1980s, it's the best kind of deep cut there is. Uh, created in 1973 by Steve Englehart, Jim Starlin, and Al Milgram, the Master of Kung Fu was the son of Fu Manchu, a classic yellow menace, evil villain, very troublesome now, but with the Mandarin back in the day, and he it works okay. Basically, Shang-Chi is sent on his first mission away from his dad to kill one of his dad's enemies. As he works on that mission, he discovers Sir Dennis Nayland Smith, who is kind of a agent of the MI6, which is like the British version of the CIA. And Shang-Chi quickly turned coats and joins the other side, becomes one of the good guys and starts to fight against his father, Fu Manchu, alongside characters like Clive Reston, who's basically presented as the son of James Bond, and the beautiful Liko Wu, who ends up becoming Shang-Chi's lover as well as his uh, fighting companion, you could say. Steve Englehart left the book quickly, turning the book over to Doug Mensch, who teamed with new artist Paul Galassi to do some amazing work, uh, very similar to Jim Steranko's work, uh, that really kind of transcended the subject matter. I know that Galassi's kind of seen now as a bit stiff, a bit odd, but at the time especially, he was a Steranko clone, and he was really powerful, did some outstanding work, especially around Master of Kung Fu number 50. Later artists on the series included the wonderful Mike Zek and the brilliant Gene Day. Gene Day, in particular, was one of the finest cartoonists of his era and left this earth way, way too soon. What you really need to know about Shang-Chi, though, is that he is a philosopher, a smart man, a man who really cared deeply and passionately about the world that he was part of. He transcended his father's roots to become a fighting hero 
who had a deep and thoughtful personality and philosophy of the world around him. Easy to characterize this book as Master of Kung Fu, and therefore it's all mindless Kung Fu action. But in fact, under uh, the pen of writer Doug Mensch, uh, Shang-Chi became this action hero with a brain, a man who really deeply thought about the work that he was part of and kind of came to hate and love at the same time the kind of uh, oppressive spy life that he was forced into. There were a couple of short live revivals of Shang-Chi over the years. There was a one-shot by Mench and uh, Day Brothers, um, as well as a short run in Marvel Comics Presents, a Shang-Chi Max series from the early 1990s. And of course, he was recently part of the Battle World. But really, he hasn't been seen in a while. And I think that's kind of cool. You know, uh, Guardians of the Galaxy turned out pretty dang well, if you ask me. And I think a Master of Kung Fu movie that does a true tribute to the original series could be pretty spectacular. Again, this is Jason Sachs, author of the American Comic Book Chronicles of the 1970s, from which a lot of this information was gleaned, as well as the 1990s. Uh, tune into my podcast, Classic Comics Cavalcade, available everywhere that you get two-headed nerd and thanks for giving this a listen appreciate it That is it for THN 523, and folks, 524 is on life support waiting for a green blood transfusion in critical condition. Before our black market Cree physician shows up, Joey, why don't we ask these nerds a new question of the week? All right. This week's question comes from Brian Domingos, God Emperor of the THN Forums. Events can be all-encompassing and overwhelming with dozens of tie-ins and bloated installments, but... What is your favorite one-shot or side miniseries from a major event? Cool. Cool. I this can, is a difficult question. It's I, a good one. I can think of two that are tied, and I'm really going to have to have them fight it out. I might have to read them both again. <laughs> War Games. Definitely. Act 2, Chapter 5. Uh, yeah, Robin no. 130. Specifically Tides, Issues 1 through 8. <laughs> yeah. If you're new to this show and you want to slap the taste out of our stupid mouths, I assure you, it's only because you haven't heard enough of it. The good news is, you can hear the entire run of THN in our digital longbox archive at TwoHeadedNerd.com. But hosting that many episodes, it ain't cheap, folks. So we want to thank donors like John Andrews. John has been a donor since 2017. So I can only assume he forgot he was giving us money and will be turning those payments off immediately. That is if he still listens to the show. Maybe it's a bad idea to mention them by name. Yeah, I know. <laughs> Before we go, our weekly shout out goes to all of our friends having fun at Emerald City Comic Con without us. Where do you jerks? I hope you all catch the con crud. Until next time, true believers, remember to pre-order your comics or your retailer just might rub their crud on you. This oh, God. is the two-headed nerd signing off. Duh. <laughs>